and welcome to the third episode of this four-part mini-series dedicated entirely and totally to Emerald Fennell's Promising Young Women. And in this episode, we've talked about already the film as a whole. We've talked about the nice guys, the male characters in the film before. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about how people have talked about Promising Young Women, I guess is the best way to describe the the theme, the overall theme of the next hour or so that we're going to chat. And as in the previous two episodes, joining me is writer, podcaster, mini pod entrepreneur, Jordan Cruciola. Hello. Hello. I am enthusiastically all of those things. <laughs> I think my my favorite thing when we're recording these sessions is to come up with new ways to describe <laughs> the amazing stuff that you do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I feel like, you know, no one's here describing you. Pod fucking podcast empress of her own podcast empire. <laughs> Anna Bogutskaya, film programmer, film festival programmer, uh in progress author all around all star cat lady cat lady cat my lady. cat my cat has upstaged me on international mm. radio i am both humiliated <laughs> and elated by that fact on inter- well and because i'm and because i'm i only i know um only kind of like the, the largest figures of like bbc it seems like all media in the uk is bbc things are all just bbc that's probably not true but like that's how it seems from the outside from over here because I only know like certain figures and I know you, I'm like, why aren't you running things? Like, <laughs> it, like, and, like I hear other things. I'm like, but why isn't this Anna? <clears throat> I mean, I, I'm trying, but also <laughs> my cat keeps interrupting and upstaging me and upstaging everybody just you. wants a cat. Everybody yeah. just wants to listen to the cat. I was like, that cat does not have a film degree. <laughs> <laughs> well, then let your cat use- be the usurper and then your cat hires you with great favor. <laughs> so after after the preliminary cat chat what we're gonna chat about what we're gonna talk about is actually we've hinted at it before and we've sort of kept it a little bit to be the focus of this episode and I, and I wanted it to come after the the award season has finished with the Oscars obviously with the Academy Awards and they were given out uh, last Sunday Yes, yes. And you predicted correctly that Promising Young Woman would pick up the Best Screenplay Award. I really thought that. I was really, it was the, the other ones were hopeful. I think the Best Actress seemed like a real twist outcome, actually. Like, in so far as Frances McDormand could ever be considered a twist to win Best Actress, I think it, somebody said that she now actually has more Oscars than Meryl Streep, which is kind of wild. I think that's true. Uh, I really thought. She's now. Yeah. I really yeah. thought it was going to be a Carrie or Viola. And I was like, I was like happy about a night where it was like, well, if it can't be Carrie, and I deeply want it to be, um, how could I ever be mad at a Viola Davis win? And I'm not like mad, of course, at a Francis McDormand win, but that was, I would, that was how I had steeled my heart to mm. cope with the, with a not Carrie win was Viola Davis. So when that happened, I was like, oh, like I just, like, well, how nice for her. And then I think it was Louis Vertel, one of the greatest people on Twitter, tweeted something about like, he's like, you know, and then one day, Frances McDormand looked down at the Oscar in her hand and just said, well, before throwing it in a bowling bag. And that was exactly how I imagined Frances McDormand walking out of Union Station in Los Angeles with her Oscar that night. Was truly just giving it up. Well, 
and throwing it in an unzipped bowling bag before just marching out of the marching out of the the ceremony with her husband. <laughs> but it felt like the Academy Awards and promising a woman not just picking up an award, but also being nominated in, in three categories, if I'm not mistaken. Best actress, best original screenplay. Uh, no, four. Best four. director, best film, best yeah. picture. Um, that felt like the, not necessarily the end point, but actually the midpoint for the whole conversation around this film, mm-hmm. which, as we alluded to in a previous episode, has not stopped since it premiered at Sundance. My God. Again, I wanted to to unpick that a little bit because you you alluded to it in our in our previous chat that this does not happen often. Like people don't talk about films for like more than a few weeks. Yeah. Let alone a year and a half. And there's a reason like Oscar season mm. are and like the like a kind of like gag about Oscar bait movies is that they all come out at the same time in like the last week of the year here in the States. And, you know, the Oscars, you know, big awards start rolling out and and that that show starts coming around people are like oh have you seen all the oscar nominated films here it's like is that one even there's always like one movie where you're like is that even out yet you're like asking mm-hmm. people you know is that awesome best picture nominee like even out yet because it's in such limited release so as to qualify for being um eligible for academy awards but not like proliferate yet throughout the entirety of the country and this movie comes out in and, and you know you end load so that most in the voters minds that it you know you want it to come out like right in like it's like that prestige season it's winter it's people going to the movies when that's something people can do and they all there's this cluster it feels like 70 percent of nominees always come out right at that time at least like the american ones and this one comes out at fucking sundance in january of last mm-hmm. year it comes out before the pandemic hits Yep. It gets a proper festival premiere. It came out in a different world. (laughs) And then was supposed to arrive in the spring. The movie Mm -hmm. posters say it's like April 16th. Yeah. And then obviously it does not because the world locked down in March. And then it has to like continue this drumbeat for a year of just keeping people interested enough to be like, hey, this isn't going to be, this isn't going to have the press behind it of of a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. So we have to sustain a like a grassroots buzz campaign for over a year to for a year to keep people interested enough to go see it and then to remind Academy of Voters why this is such an urgent mm. and pressing screenplay that they should vote for it over more what is at this point considered traditional Oscar fare. And then here we find ourselves in May. This, happened, this ceremony happens at the end of April. It's an extended Oscar season because of the pandemic. And it's still like the pandemic bad i i hope that at least for the length of time that like carrie and emerald had to be committed to press for this Mm. at least they were doing it from home like a thing i really realized a couple years ago and maybe i brought this up before on on the first episode at some point i really realized for the first time a couple years ago what oscar season entails from people Oh, when yeah. shape of like it was when shape of water and get out were were both at the oscars and mm-hmm. every day i felt like it was a new poll quote from jordan mm-hmm. peele and guillermo del toro and i was talking to a reporter who covers the oscar beat and he was saying how like he really liked guillermo del toro's chances for, for best picture and for best director because yes good movie but also campaigning matters and he was 
charming people left and right. The voters fucking love this guy. Guillermo del Toro, like, sharing canapes with you and, you know, warmly chatting you up after you've just watched his movie and watched a Q&A. Mm-hmm. He is a dear and wonderful man by all accounts. And people people want to vote for that. That's the whole point of, like, the palm pressing tour. And there were so, every time there was a new quote, it was because those people had been at a different fucking engagement, mm-hmm. like, greasing the wheels for their movie. So it's like, if you don't live in L.A., I assume you just get an apartment for the last four months, four to six months at the end of one year and in toward the Oscars actually happening in the next. Because the press. Because you're like, well, I got to be at this event, at this guild, and I got to be at this event, at this hotel, and I'm going to this screening at the Paley Center. At least for this, they were home. There's quite a lot of it always happening in London as well, because there's quite a lot of um, Ampers voters based in London. Mm, 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 mm. But but obviously, what, there's the campaigning for the nominations, and then there's the campaigning yeah. for the voting once you yep. secure the nominations. Yep. But what's interesting about that timeline, and like... Let's recap, because Promising Young Woman debuts at Sundance 2020 in a pre-Panini world, Yeah, has its big buzzy festival premiere, the first critics, the traditional festival yeah. experience where select few people, or select yeah. few thousand people It was like the, the last film. traditional festival experience before all this happened. I think Ber- I think Berlin Alley 2020 was like the last big film festival ah, okay, before okay. everything happened uh, in February. Um, but I'm then like, outside of America, not real. <laughs> not real. I'm sorry, I apologize. I'm a di- I'm a dirty socialist European. I did not. <laughs> and I'm I was not briefed. <laughs> I'm a spoiled American child. So <laughs> that's why we get along. That's why we get along. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But then, like, I I think in the UK it was also slated originally for release for April 2020. So it was kind of coinciding, and then mm-hmm. it got pushed back. And they're going to push back again. Mm-hmm. And then obviously it was released in the States on VOD in January this year, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was theater's Christmas Day. And then it, and then it hit to Christmas video on Day. demand. Uh, the inexplicable release of this movie where it's like, guys, people do want to see this movie. I don't mm-hmm. know why you're not doing day and date right now. Um, but then knowing I kept. I didn't realize how fucking long it was taking in the UK and would only be reminded when every once in a while somebody on Twitter would be like, I'm still waiting. And I'd be like, oh my God, I'm sorry. This fucking sucks. And like, this is a spoiler movie. Like, yeah, I feel like people have mostly been pretty good for a really long time about not just outright. Like I even at this point, I got into a long back and forth with somebody about this movie on Twitter. And even I was still like, Oh, even if I like made declarative statements about a thing that happened, like I didn't use like names and time. I was still trying to, in some way, be like, if you saw this tweet out of context, you wouldn't know still. Like if you didn't see this whole thread, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. Mm. Because I didn't Mm. want there to be, I didn't want to be wrecking it for people because it's only been out in the UK for like three weeks at this point, right? Yeah. The whole team for Emerald and Terry. It came out in the UK on Sky Cinema on the 16th of April. My um, Christ! Yeah, so almost almost exactly a year after it was supposed to oh, wow. originally. Yeah, yeah, but the weird thing is, the spoiler thing is interesting because you're right. Like people have not, people have been quite good. They have about not spoiling the multiple 
the multiple twists and the yeah. angles and the reveals. As Clarice pointed out, her big mm-hmm. twist versus yeah. perhaps the, the big, big twist. Like Yeah, and then the second twist yeah. on the big, big twist. <laughs> yeah! It's God. a movie of twists, yeah. And actually, uh, like, even before I saw it and even after I saw it and I was looking out for those tweets and seeing the, the reception unfold, mm-hmm. it was still pretty covert. And I think that's one of the interesting things about this movie that we kind of... S- sort of spoke around a bit mm-hmm. and it's people's expectations both the press and the industry mm-hmm. the people who who will write about this movie professionally the people who dedicated um press coverage but also the people who might vote for it in awards bodies and then the the audience reaction when mm-hmm. it actually became available to everyone within this context of like this building expectation for almost a year in mm-hmm. both of the in both America and the UK what do you think about the way that that has influenced people's reaction to it which has been like intense i think the word is like intense yeah that is the word and it's been so because any and like poor get out had to to get out at least came out early in the year so people could see mm. it and form opinions but if you came to if you if you like just didn't see Get Out when it came out and you like hadn't gotten around to it yet, you know you got to feel bad for any movie that like somebody comes to it six months. A movie like that, somebody comes to it six months later, they're expecting their entire fucking cellular reality to be reorganized by this movie because they've heard so much about it, like the way Get Out was talked about and the 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 impact of it and it's important. Like I don't know. I, how do you come into a movie like that feeling anything close to neutral after like months of a drumbeat about it? And this is, this was similar, but had the, had the merciful aspect of people reacting very strongly, but also being very conscious of the twists. Mm. So it was like the majority, it's interesting. Being a big fan of this movie is like being a Taylor Swift fan. (laughs) <laughs> it's not the underdog this movie has great fucking reviews this movie did well this movie won many awards this mm-hmm. movie is critically hailed but the the fervor around the dislike of it mm-hmm. and in the case of a movie like this the the intimacy of the kind of anger around it for people who really felt like it was not good or it, it is is a is a a negative is a is a net negative there's there's a word that's been used a lot that i find really interesting and uh, like it's that intimacy of anger and it's betrayal like a lot of people felt like the movie betrayed expectations no you're right it it is like people walked out of it like myself being like this is like one of the best movies i've ever seen i've never been so affected by a movie i feel like flush like you know um one of the best things i just couldn't sing its praises enough very much existing alongside of this movie is dangerous this movie is harmful this movie this movie betrays people this movie is bad for survivors like and but without people like with people you know very blessedly not being spoilery about it online and stuff and talking about it you have the polarity of those reactions being like what the fuck is going I feel like what it will do is not let you down in terms of the surprise. No matter how you feel about the surprise, Mm -hmm. I feel like this movie is at least structured such that 
you won't see the thing coming that does happen. Even if you're like, wow, they're like, I'm so fucking hyped for this movie. Maybe you're like, I'm going to love it. It's going to be the best thing ever. Or maybe you're like, you know what? I'm going to hate watch this. Writers I really respect are ripping it apart. Like, let's see what this bullshit is all about. Kind of no matter how big your feelings are going into it, it can't really eclipse the in- the intimacy of the the in- intensity of how crazy it gets in its last like 10 minutes. So it mm. does have like this structural advantage in that way where you kind of can't it's not like you can't overhype it. It's kind of like you can't you can't really prepare yourself in the way that you think you can for like, oh no, no, I'm really I'm super good at guessing movies. Like there are always those people who are like, no, I I always know the ending in the first 10 minutes kind of thing. And you kind of just can't with this. And, you know, sure, some people have, but also you guys can go fuck yourselves. I truly don't care. And so it's it's interesting, like, this movie had to deal with the buzz situation, but I think given the kind of the way that it is marketed, mm-hmm. it does tease, it gives you a year to hype yourself up for something that is not for, and, and I love this movie and absolutely will admit, is not going to give you what you were promised. Mm-hmm. It's not. I find it really interesting because it's the the betrayal of expectation kind of the I have I'm struggling I'm struggling to think (laughs) of a film that has elicited so many intensely personal Mm -hmm. personal reactions Mm -hmm. like it's it's what people in the UK say it's a Marmite movie like you either really fucking love the taste of Marmite or you really fucking hate the taste of Marmite right 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 yeah you are physically unable to be on neutral about Marmite you don't yeah you can't you can't take the middle ground on Marmite so this is this is one of those films where people have been unable to be neutral about it and that I find really interesting regardless of my own love for the movie it's also I can also very much see how the expectations that Mm. come with the genre the expectations that come with the look and feel of it the expectations Mm. that come with Carrie Mulligan the expectations that come with the writer-director the fact that the writer-director is a woman who Emerald Fennell is all of that comes layered with expectations because as you mentioned it's not an underdog movie you know this is like it's got an oscar nominated actress in the lead it's you know it's not a big budget movie but it's had it has a lot of stuff in its corner it's got the imprint on it it has one of the most it has one of the most like rising bankable like a-list actresses in margot robbie being a face of it when it if totally if this movie had not generated um what it self-generated coming out of sundance i feel like it would have been we would have seen a lot more margot robbie mm-hmm. we would have seen a lot more of her being like this movie i produced uh promising young woman you guys should check it out but it became its own it became its own self-sustaining machine but mm-hmm. when you have a hitter like that in your back pocket you put your most famous face out in front of it and that is an extremely famous face like this mm-hmm. this movie is is again that's why it's like being a taylor swift fan she's taylor swift is not an underdog but there is such a acute um dislike of her intake there's a, such an acute dislike of her in the way that certain people do that it feels like no matter how big and successful and the fact that she is one of the most famous bankable supreme entertainers of the past of the 21st century she is one of there's like a class of entertainer that exists that is just like a cut above the rest in terms of Mm. like they can move records like people don't move records anymore it's like beyonce rihanna 
kind of Ariana mm-hmm. Grande and Taylor Swift. Like that that's like there there aren't pop acts that are that big anymore and they are. So you kind of constantly feel like you're in this weird underdog position as a Taylor fan because you you're having to defend her in the stupidest fucking ways. Mm-hmm. And it produces this sense of, and there's such a personal connection as the way people often have to, to their favorite musicians. There's such a personal intensity to the way you celebrate them and the way you love them and what they mean to you that the fights feel personal too. That when people attack Taylor, they're like attacking your family. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that like deeply like toxic stand thing. But also just, again, in the way that there's a specific attachment, I think, often to musicians because it's their real people and your real people and their songs and journals and shit like that. Defending Promising Young Woman can be so difficult, not because the merits of the movie don't um, allow for it, but because it's like, why are you caping for the winner? Why are you caping for, why are you caping for the victor? Why are, it's, it's like, why are you going to bat for Disney right now, you guys? This movie isn't Disney, but it's like, Promising Young Woman is fine. It's making money. It's getting great reviews. It's winning hardware. Mm-hmm. These women are great. These women are paid. They're rich and they're beautiful. Like, so I, I try to be very careful in how I approach when I get really mad. Um, at certain ways, I see the movie being assailed that I think are unfair. Um, because I'm like, hey, at the end of the day, you're, you don't want to throw a tantrum about a best, best picture nominee. So fucking dial, dial down your defensiveness. This movie is fine. This movie is handled. Its business is taken care of. And you are not marginalized because you love Promising Young Woman. So it's it's an interesting, it's yes. an like wanting to stand up for it and wanting to defend it, but wanting to be like check yourself at the same time. Yeah, yeah, no, I absolutely agree, and I think this is where the we kind of brushed a, brushed upon this in previous episodes. One of the often the criticisms against this film, and I've actually really enjoyed reading takedowns mm, of this film mm. in a way in a way that I haven't enjoyed kind of reading takedowns of films that I I really love and appreciate mm-hmm. because I'll, I'll sometimes between the lines and even in the most eloquent and mm. wonderful kind of negative reviews or or essays or think pieces about this film there are always different entry points into it totally. and all those Agreed. different entry points reveal different sets of expectations mm. of cinema that tries to speak about the female experience or the expectations that we place on female creators which I always find are so much more cumbersome Mm -hmm. and almost impossible to satisfy like if if Cassie in this film was uh, you know murdering everyone that she saw that would anger a sector of people Mm-hmm. And if she isn't, that also has angered a couple of uh, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So everybody seems to what I've been finding really fascinating is that how we are projecting a lot mm-hmm. of stuff onto this film. Complete. Oh yeah, so much. And I, I full know full well that I am as well, also complete. Oh yeah, I totally I totally acknowledge that as well. And like I really I genuinely really enjoy it. It does not rattle my appreciation for this <laughs> film. I know where it sits within the industry, but I also really love just how much thoughtfulness and Mm -hmm. interesting points of view are coming into even the critiques of it Mm -hmm. i haven't seen that happen with a film that is you know an an indie but you know let's say like indie mainstreamy film yeah indie plus (laughs) indie plus yes that's a perfect term i haven't seen that i genuinely cannot remember the last time that's happened with like an indie plus film Mm -hmm. it really i had a, a i did i did my best to keep myself in check 
um, I had an exchange about this film on Twitter with one of my favorite people who I follow. And we have plans to go see Fast and the Furious together this summer. And I cannot wait. And, um, but she was trying to do that thing where she was just doing a thread about Promising Young Woman. She likes this movie, by the way. She likes this movie. Mm-hmm. She was just trying to do a little thread about, like, her thoughts on Promising Young Woman. And I didn't, and I was like, don't bother her. Like, you don't need to weigh in on this. It, 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 it like, we weren't even fundam, we weren't even, we weren't even at odds. But I just, I had, I had, I couldn't control myself that day. And I was just like, well, you know, I think. And so, like, I, she wasn't like, let's have a discussion about this. She was just saying something. And I, I was like, I'm going to turn this into a discussion. And it we it was not like a fluffy exchange, but it wasn't a tense exchange. But we were talking about the marketing of it. And we mm. got into the deceptive nature of the way that this film is sold. And it's just, it's one of those movies. And I found this similar, I found this to be with, true with The Lodge too. Very low key mm-hmm. release, but I found this to be true with The Lodge as well. This movie is one such that people can have fundamentally, deeply, different points of view on the exact same parts of the movie deciding whether thinking whether or not they are the ultimate strengths or ultimate weaknesses of the film like i remember i was talking to a friend about the movie the lodge and every he was saying how much he hated it and each of the things he was like i just couldn't fucking stand this each of the things he cited i was like oh that was like my favorite thing the movie was never going to be for him it wasn't even like, oh, if this movie had just done these things differently, then I would have liked it. Because if it had done these key things differently, it wouldn't have been the movie. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have been. The things he was disagreeing, if you took those out, it would have been an entirely different movie in its intention and execution than what The Lodge was. This is a movie where you can have two, you can have the same fact in front of you. And people can be fucking at odds to their very bones at whether or not it is even a good idea that it exists. So me and and this girl are having this exchange and we were talking about the marketing and I was like, see, to me, the marketing is just a part of the story. Like the point is the trick. The point is the deception. Like the point is that you're being, you're, you know, it's like a prank being played on you. And then in like, you know, the first 10 minutes of the movie, the rug is ripped out from under you when she walks away and it's not blood falling down her leg, but it's food that, oh, I thought this was going to, you immediately think this is going to be a movie about Carrie Mulligan killing motherfuckers. You 100% do. You think when you see yeah. like that image of like Piz and Schmidt standing in front of what looks like a fire that their house has been burned down in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Like, that you really think that's what you're seeing. It's Cassie's fucking body. You're yeah. standing in front of Cassie's body. And this movie absolutely tells you that the opposite of that is going to be true. Mm-hmm. And then when it changes those terms of engagement at the very outset, it's like, whoa, 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 what? It's like and the bleakest Trojan horse of a movie. It's not, ble- it's, not just, it's not just a, a message film like some people have, have described it. I mean, it definitely yeah. has a message, but it's not... Sure. You know, it's not um, a like a morality lesson in any way, shape or form. No, it's not. But it is bleak as fuck and you don't expect it. You don't expect it from the aesthetics and you don't expect mm-hmm. it from how it sells it mm-hmm. in the marketing and in the first 10 minutes. Yeah. And so what I what I really came down to in this thread, because I, I said something, I was like, well, you know, it's it's like a it's like a trick being played on you. And she's like, yeah, well, I didn't I, I didn't consent to that trick. And I responded and was like, well, then it wouldn't be a trick. We don't like we don't like sign a form saying we agree to be pranked. Like, that's kind of the whole point is the surprise. And she's like, yeah, but magic and but like 
there's a difference between magic and like a con. And I was like, you're right. That's it. I feel like so much of how you respond to this movie Mm -hmm. is determined by whether or not how you feel about being scammed. Because it's a scam. The way this movie is set up, the way it's teased at you, the way it unfolds in the narrative is a scam. That you don't, you do not know you're being long conned. Mm -hmm. And it's how you feel at the end of the day. It's how you feel at the end of the movie about how that con worked. About whether or not you're like, you know what? I respect the hustle and you really had me. Like, I, I'm all in, you know, the great job on that scam. You really nailed it. Or if you're like, fuck you for that scam. And fuck to be you. honest, frankly, if the fucking usual suspects and in every, if every single Christopher Nolan movie can get away mm-hmm. with oh, having God. a con or of being entirely a con and yes. that being the big reveal and the yeah. big audience expectations and the big joy of it as an audience yeah. is being tricked and not knowing what's going to happen or who's yeah. actually at fault or who's the... um or Who's who- real? Who's real? Who's a liar? Who's a bent <laughs> copper? Sorry, I've been I've been binge watching Line of Duty as I told you before. So all I can think about now are bent bastards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. But of course, like, but you know, because it's a because it's a girl movie because it's made yeah. by a woman and it's marketed partially towards women. So of uh-huh. course, we're gonna get annoyed because it ties into this age old. Um, concede that women are deceivers mm-hmm, and this mm-hmm. movie is deceiving us but it's it's a con that has even more negative negative uh, connotations because it's a con perpetuated by a woman yeah and it, I, I think it i think how you feel about promising young woman uh, comes down to whether you feel like what you just watched was a magic trick or you felt like it was a scam mm. and what do you think i for me it's a magic trick for me it's a magic trick for me i think it is an extremely elegantly executed um sleight of hand but if you feel like you were scammed because the point of a scam is the point of of magic is to delight or at Mm. least to make you sit and wonder if not make you happy to sit make you sit in kind of a sense of awe the point of a scam is to hurt you like that you are you are a victim that nobody considered the ramifications of what happened to you in perpetrating their crime Somebody took something from you and it caused you pain because they just wanted to take something and they didn't care about how you felt about it. So it's it's whether you feel like this was a, a magic show that you were watching at the end and then you you realized that it had its prestige moment or whether you feel like you had a scam run on you. And it hurts in that way, in that personal and close way that feels like something perpetrated against you. It seems like if it hits you in that way. And for me, this movie is a magic trick and it fucking works. This is some Penn and Teller, Chris Angel, Houdini shit. And I completely, it jibes with me. But if you felt like you got scammed, yeah, I could see why you'd be pissed off because it's not cool to be scammed. I was talking to Graham earlier and he says there's a position opening up at head office. And don't freak out, but I want you to know I recommended you for it. Hi, Ken. Why would you do that? Because thinking of the joint with your sad little face but i like it here no you don't no i don't but i like you and i like hello <laughs> working in a customer facing role great can i get no some? cassie don't cassie me i'm fine gail really 
Johnny said he saw you at the fallout last week, said you were completely hammered and on your own. He was a little worried. I know it's none of my business. He must have seen someone else. I've never been there. Okay. One thing we haven't talked about, we've talked a lot about the, the reactions to this movie and how mm -hmm. divisive they've been and how people have reacted so intensely mm -hmm. and have felt intimately at times deceived by it. Mm -hmm. I feel like we need to talk as well about the, the critical reaction, which, mm -hmm. you know, granted has been very positive, um, yeah. also a bit divisive. There was the variety incident, which we kind of need to chat about. The variety incident. In yes. It's a funny, it's because the, the language of it is not, um, language of it is not, it's not super gross. It's, it's eye-rolly. It's, it's so, eye-rolly language. For the purposes of anyone who's not been as, you know, involved in tracking and reading every review and following mm -hmm. the, the coverage of Promising a Woman, what happened was in the review, the Sundance review, uh, published in Variety of this film at its premiere, there was this was the paragraph. I'm going to read it out because I've got it right. I was going to say me. I have the quote in front of me as well. So yes. <laughs> so it reads: uh, This was published in the review about Carrie Mulligan and and her performance. Mulligan, a fine actress, seems a bit of an odd choice at this admittedly many layered apparent femme fatale. Margot Robbie is a producer here, and one can perhaps too easily imagine the role might once have been intended for her. Whether it's with this star, Cassie works her pickup bait gear like bad drag. Even her long blonde hair seems a put on. And it's like, like, I remember when I, like, I hadn't read the, I hadn't read the review. And then, of course, my attention was brought to it by Carrie was interviewed by Kyle D. Cannon in the New York Times. And she made her comment about, uh, you know, I'm, I was a weak person. So I read the review and was just like, her, her reaction was kind of like, fucking really, guy? She said, I felt like it was basically her, her quote to Kyle was, I felt mm -hmm. like it was basically saying that I wasn't hot enough to pull off this kind of ruse. It drove me crazy. I was like, really? For this film? You're going to write something that is so transparent now in 2020? I just couldn't believe it. And it, it became quite the kerfuffle. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, un, it's unfortunate that the outsized, it's unfortunate that the reaction to it had the inevitable effect of producing a sort of backlash to the reaction where it was like, oh, yeah. it's not that big a deal, which like, of course, it's not the worst thing that's ever happened. It's not that big a deal. But if there could have just been a reasonable conversation around why that language was bullshit, then it would have actually been a productive thing to talk about because the the writer was interviewed by The Guardian later on. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it became the piece about the piece. He became the story. And he, there was he said, pieces about the piece. There was columns about the piece. There was reactions to the reaction to the reaction of the piece. Like it generally it. became like a you know like a fucking international incident in the in the film critical community. Yeah, and 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 the 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 uh, one of the quotes from this Guardian article is this writer saying, "I quote, I did not say or even mean to imply Carrie Mulligan is quote not hot enough for the role." I'm a 60-year-old gay man. I don't actually go around dwelling on the comparative hotness of young actresses, let alone writing about that. And here's the thing. You don't have to mean to have been kind of sexist to have been sexist. Like, you don't, it doesn't matter that you're a 60-year-old gay man. It doesn't matter that I'm a woman, that you're a woman. We are still capable of objectifying women. We are still capable of reducing them down to their parts. That's what internalized misogyny does. 
the idea that there is a class of people who are off limits from biases is part is a big part of the problem. It's like when you have white people who do the oh I'm I I don't have a racist bone in my body. Like oh I would I would never say a racist thing. I'm not a racist. Are the people who follow the same people who follow those kinds of comments saying like I have black friends and who cannot divorce them who who divorce themselves, who do divorce themselves in their minds from the systemic issues of racism to say that oh no 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 I am not racist. I couldn't sit I I I work in my life to be anti-racist, but I absolutely couldn't say that I am absolved of all internalized racism that I have absorbed in my life through my white privilege and coddling growing up in my agricultural Oregon, ta- little Oregon town, and what I've brought with me and those biases I'm trying to unwind in me. Of course there's internalized racism in me. That's of course true. And to divorce myself from it by saying I would never doesn't help me. For me to sit here and say, oh, I could never be a sexist. I'm a woman who thinks men are terrible. No, you don't get to take yourself out of the conversation by citing the ways in which you, like, categorically, sexism doesn't apply to your, like, being sexist doesn't apply to your demographic. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't mean you didn't mean it. That is what came across, because... Critics are absolutely loud. And and we've sort of, I feel like, lost the art of critiquing performance in a substantial way. Like, I feel like people just aren't really practiced in... And the writer Angelica Jade Bastian is a wonderful critic. Oh, she's incredible. Yeah, of, of, like, acting and physical performance especially. Like, she's really good at writing about those things. That's not critiquing a physical performance. That's not critiquing the art of a physical performance from an actor. You are literally saying it's easier to picture Margot Robbie, who is you know not trying to be reductive but like who does cut a figure of somewhat of basically bombshell beauty of Uh of that sort of category of pretty um which is just a staggering kind of thing to behold you are literally comparing in what you said it's easier to picture margot robbie being a woman who entraps men than it is carrie mulligan Dude, you don't have to take a long walk to find the implication of what you said, even if you can't see your own implications because your biases blind you from it. I mean, fuck, dude. There's another. There's another thing that rubbed me the wrong way about that review. I'm not, and you know, the the backlash to the backlash and all of that, notwithstanding, the implication there as well is that Margot Robbie should not be producing. She should be acting. That is not. She should not be part on screen. That is not not part. Of it. I don't think that's such a far fetched read of being like, well, you know, Margot's produced this film through Lucky Chap, but you know, maybe she should have been in it. Maybe that would have made the film better. It's mm-hmm. like, why? Why does she? Why does someone who chooses to also alongside her actor career to produce mm-hmm. films and specifically looks out for scripts written and and you know to be made by women? Yeah. Why does she need to put herself on screen? That is also her creative choice. And it's also Emerald's choice. So why are you making this assumption? Because she is a different kind of actress, a different kind of beauty from Carrie Mulligan that she would be better because, because what? Because you, you like, you like her more? Yeah, that's the kind of the implication for me. It's like what, you would never say that about Brad Pitt and all of the films that he produces through Plan B. Maybe Minari would have been better if Brad put himself in it a little bit mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, 
And it, maybe it, maybe was... we need a little bit of pit just to make that that very specific film with a very specific script yeah. and story to tell a little bit a little bit better because you know he cuts a great figure on screen. Well, and to say to say um to say that the way like he mentions the blonde hair and it's like she's wearing bad drag to yeah. me and this is the point of how intentionally styled this movie is. There is oh, an yeah. artifice to this entire movie. There's an artifice to the entire life that Cassie has decided to put the costume on and wear because she has opted out of one life very intentionally which she lays out in an, in a in a great line of dialogue to Laverne Cox when she you know I could have the job and the man and the car in the house I could get out I could go out in 10 minutes and get that I don't want it I don't want it she like and the way everything is so pink and the way everything is so pastel and the way she is framed in like Byzantine halos in certain scenes like to divorce the physical makeup and styling of Carrie from the fact that like it is a performance of gender it is a performance yes. of a role a woman plays in society versus what she's expected to do it's like well yeah there is and like Carrie embraces this role as almost a drag performance in and of itself like listen totally. to the tone of her voice the way she just drips like this is this is a very this is a performer acting against it seems like many of her performance instincts to be a minimalist, to do something a bit more maximal. And so like, yeah, that dude, did you, did you not do the homework assignment? Like you're, what you're saying is negating what the movie is doing. And that's just kind of showing your ass. And it's also negating that the multiple layers of, of performance that exist within that with, with all of the, the quote unquote bad drag that she wears. Mm -hmm. That's, her performing for the men that she knows will be looking for yeah women women of a certain type and i'm using air quotes here like yeah. she is creating not honeypotting them because we've talked about this i don't actually think that she's tricking them she's putting she's putting this character that she creates a different version of, of womanhood for every night that she goes out yeah out there and they then the choice is theirs you know whether mm -hmm. to take advantage of of this woman or to approach her even or to help her out and as we've discussed there are no nice men and promising young women so they yeah. all fucking make the bad decision but it's always it's always a, a disguise of womanhood but it's also a disguise for cassie because she there is no there is no real cassie yeah cassie's lost track of what cassie even is and the the critic went on to say in this article too he said he was he had been quote appalled to be tarred as a misogynist which is something very alien to my personal beliefs or politics this whole thing could not be more horrifying to me than if someone had claimed i was a gung-ho trump supporter there's not any part in this where i'm not saying this critic should apologize that's like you know stand by your man you know stand by your shit but it's so about him it's like why aren't you engaging with this like i get that you're going through it on the internet and that sucks and when these things spin out of control like they they do become bad and like i i i, I don't want this person to go through like a public dragging in the way that being brigaded on twitter can can be that's that's fucking awful but there isn't any point in this where this writer seems to engage with the notion that maybe if he was curious enough to ask why he could understand what Carrie read from that and what is very reasonable for a woman to have read within that. 
there isn't, and I don't know what kind of conversation he's having with his friends, but like, this is the thing where you're putting quotes on the record. You are talking to an article. This isn't somebody aggregating you and your Twitter feed. You did an interview with The Guardian where you addressed this controversy. And at no point in here do you, be, you're like, I'm a 60-something gay man. I would never, I'm appalled to be tards and misogynist. Again, it's like the, I would never say something racist. I am appalled to be considered a racist. It always becomes about the injury of the name calling is worse than the actual thing you did. It centers the effect of, I can't believe you called me this name that is so socially unacceptable and I'm horrified and I'm, I'm embarrassed. And you make it about the fact that you were maybe called out something honestly, that if you, even if you disagree with it, you're deciding not to engage with it. You are deciding instead to make excuses for it. And that tells me actually Carrie was right. Because here's the thing, dude. It is not, it is not crazy for any actress, for any actress to take an uncharitable read of some guy, gay or straight or whatever, gender queer, sure. Maybe, like, regardless of that demographic of who, the, like, where that pen name, that byline's coming from, it is not unreasonable for any actress to bristle at a flippant critique of her physical presentation. Carrie Mulligan has been doing this for fucking decades. The amount of this stuff that she has had to internalize, smile, and keep going through, no matter how many nitpicks and critiques and photos circulate around without, like, her consent. It's just part of the game. It's part of being a public figure, part of being famous. The amount of entitlement and access we think we have to visible people, particularly women, and the amount of shit that they have had to shovel out from in front of them just to keep existing without collapsing under the weight of, like, body dysmorphia and, like, being wrecked by the idea of constant scrutiny, it is in no way unreasonable for a person conditioned in that kind of life to have their hackles raise at a, at a hair's breadth because something they see feels like it triggers their personal integrity. And it has only been their physical integrity. It has been probably three years that women are even allowed to say this shit mm. in print. It has been like maybe three years after a century and a half of cinema that women are allowed to sound off like this and say, yeah, I read that review and it was pretty sexist to me. You didn't get to air that out before. You didn't get to call that out. You didn't get to say it was a problem. You didn't, you didn't get to say how it affected you or how it hurt you. You had to smile and keep going. So the fact that that, that internalized everything that A, women generally, but B, Female celebrities have been carrying on their shoulders their entire careers. That doesn't go away because we can say this in public now. Mm -hmm. That that the weight of all that pressure is not suddenly absolved because we can say that shit's sexist and not be worried about being blackballed from the industry or falling out of favor with like writers and journalists and studio people. Like, sorry, no. Carrie gets to carry. Carrie gets to bring into this the scope of her entire experience, having been a scrutinized public figure for her entire adult life. And you don't get to show up and be like, gosh, I don't know. You know, in so many words, I, I don't know why she's being so sensitive about this. Oh. Maybe if you took the time to consider why she's being so sensitive about this, you would understand what any of this is about. And the fact, again, that you don't tells me that actually you didn't have any deeper or more interesting intentions than in what you wrote than saying a more fuckable actress would have made more sense to you. His responses weren't, they weren't, they weren't bad. They were so egregiously neutral as to be condemning. 
of what mm-hmm. he actually wrote. I think the actual responses in an article like this are worse than the review and much more indicative of because it would be easy. It would be so easy if we could just point out journalists who are like, I want to fuck. I don't want to fuck Carrie Mulligan in this movie. She shouldn't be in it. Well, those people could be fired and we could not hire them again and we wouldn't have to worry about them. But this brand of reducing women down to their parts, this is what's proliferate. This is what's common. This is that gray area shit that we don't have enough reasonable conversations around to actually get the perpetrators engaged in it enough to change. Because as long as he's not saying things about this actress's holes or what he wants to put in them, then somehow it's like, I would never. I simply don't know what she means by this. It's like, fuck you, guy. If you don't know, you need to go Google around because it's not anybody else's responsibility to do the work and teach you, but you need to catch up. I don't care if you're a 60-year-old gay man. You are in media. You are commenting on film. You are part of the contemporary conversation. Grow up. Man. For the for the for some dramatic effect, I'm just gonna drop my lip balm. <laughs> Boop. Boop. <laughs> Speechless, as always. I, 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 to... I, I have a way of really using all the words so they don't you keep really, to exist really for do. anybody else. But um I would like to end this episode on a on a positive note, but also on kind of Oh my god, I feel so bad, Anna. I feel like this entire time was me just yelling at you. Like, I feel like I didn't hear from you at all. Well, I I enjoy it. It's okay. It's fine. (laughs) I'm just gonna have to interview you for the next episode, because now (laughs) I feel a sense of guilt. No, one thing that I... Actually, we started talking about the Oscars, and the fact that we're kind of recording this episode after the award season for this very strange year is kind of done. Promising Mm -hmm. a Woman was one of the... Has been present at pretty much the all of them and has been mm-hmm. victorious at a lot of them won a bunch of Baf- BAFTAs won a Golden Globe won won an Academy Award like all great stuff but yeah we haven't talked about aside from the campaigning aside from the importance of press aside from the frankly like very interesting and not unprecedented but intriguing lifespan that this that this film has had in the kind of cultural Definitely. zeitgeist um there is also the question of like, do films like these usually get rewarded at award ceremonies? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no, not really. Not really. <laughs> not really. Not really. And I'm not talk- I'm not talking necessarily about indie plus movies because there's mm-hmm. always there's always a few standouts every year that kind of end up making it to the best picture or yeah, kind of yeah. end up being front runners or get a bunch of awards and it really helps them and it kind of makes or it can make careers and it has always kind of traditionally made careers of up of up and coming filmmakers with their debuts mm-hmm. or second features or whatnot. But this is also a film that, aside from the fact that it's written directed by emerald fennell and that it it has a it's a it's a very bleak trojan horse of a movie Mm -hmm. but it's also a genre movie yeah award ceremonies big proper art house award ceremonies and bodies do not genuinely like or reward genre movies and when i say genre i mean like thrillers horror Mm -hmm. rape revenge movies if we're gonna get really nitty-gritty i this has been an extraordinary year for horror anyway. Yeah. But the fact that Promising Young Woman has made it and has been rewarded mm-hmm. so much, I find really telling. I and like and, and movies about women mm-hmm. don't win a lot. 
really get like obviously we have a best actress winner every year and best actress is kind of like i feel like it's the one that gets more a bit of the fanfare around it between best actor and best actress unless you have like one of those luminary performances like best actress is kind of like it's the glamour moment and um but movies about women don't really get rewarded um certainly women don't hardly women don't win writing awards emerald Fennell opened the night at the oscars with the best mm-hmm. original screenplay victory and she was the first woman to win that award since diablo cody with juno in the mid 2000s another woman who would go on to write a movie about a woman hunt a, a girl hunting boys mm-hmm. um and the, so and it's inter- it's I'm curious to see because obviously genre has raised in profile over the past. It's become more of like a mainstream accessible thing. Mm-hmm. And this had all the right kind of like it had it was the perfect milkshake of stuff to push it to the fore. The Margot Robbie aspect. Terry Winner is a multi-time Academy Award nominated actress. Um the cultural moment, you know. It it had everything going for it in addition to like it had the stage set and needed to execute at this level. But mm-hmm. it like it took all of the resources that it had because it has more resources. It is an indie plus as compared to a, a, like a, a true indie indie, and it it made good on those resources. It fucking maximized. What I think it was at the Baftas that uh, Emerald very uh, charmingly said that everybody made the movie for basically a packet of crisps, <laughs> and it's like that is the best British thing I could possibly imagine. Crisps are a very big deal. I've yeah, I've been ingrained a- into the crisp culture. <laughs> I will not I will not accept salt and vinegar yet. I might be canceled for that, but I'm sorry, it fucking sucks. Vinegar does not go with crisps. Don't Oh, I, I love a vinegar I, I believe a crisp is a chip. Um, but I don't want to lump all of them into one category because there could be a variety of crisps. Um, but I would love I would I would eat enough vinegar crisps to kill my taste buds um in the mouth, that is for sure. Um but you know, I made it for the multi packed of crisps. I was like, well, thank you for that little walk-in comment, the fact that I'll be curious to see that because this is the award that Get Out won too. Mm-hmm. It too was nominated for Best Picture. Like it's interesting how um, you know genre movies that rise to the level of the Oscars where they do yeah. sort of sweep people up enough. I'm curious to see like kind of the next one if we have. Does it become the same thing? Does it mm-hmm. does Best Original Screenplay become the way that we recognize these categories of films, but not quite give them Best Picture? Mm-hmm. Is it like oh, you had the best idea? And so we're going to give you this trophy, but that's kind of, that's going to be like the only thing we give you. And not mm. that it's, the best original screenplay is not a consolation prize, but I was thinking about that. I was, how like, I was so sure that it was going to win best original. And then thinking about how Get Out won best original and was like, let's see, let's see what happens with the third one that comes along. The third genre movie that kind of, that isn't like a Guillermo del Toro, like Fox Searchlight picture or something like Shape of Water. Like he's kind of, the kind of resources he can get, he's an exception to the rule, I feel like. Um... But there was something I wrote about this on my Patreon, and the one of the reasons that uh, best original screenplay meant the most to me, um, because I, it, I like the idea of I, I like that it won best idea. I like that Promising Young Woman um, swept up enough voters for them to agree, like on the weighted scale of voting. This was the best idea that a movie had this year, and the fact that that idea revolved around a woman and uh, her grief and her love this love story of of a best friendship that ended tragically and the fact that it was so millennial and so pink and so pop culture i i felt really nice you know the the, uh, there are so many movies the oscars don't recognize that they should but it's it's nice to know that 
it became such a cultural force that the academy had absolutely no choice but to recognize it. I, I, I revel in that, that it rose to such a level and became such a conversation piece and became so important in the year in film that the academy had no fucking choice but to consider it and to put it with the cream of the crop because it absolutely deserves to be there but it's nice to be like you fuckers you were forced into the corner and it was und- it was that undeniable and uh you know speaking of the diablo cody thing mm-hmm. I, I, I wrote about this on, on this is what i wrote about my patreon like it's 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 a connection I can make because I'm so immersed in Jennifer's body and I'm so immersed in promising young women and do that thing where you start seeing patterns where they're not there yeah. necessarily because like you're just you just know the stuff so well. But for me to see a movie like this recognized at the Academy Awards, um, to me it 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 tells me that we are at a place that we need to be for a Jennifer's body to be appreciated. It tells me that we we are at least at a threshold where these kinds of stories with these kinds of sensibilities that are so girl and that are so contemporary and that revel in the surrounding pop culture environment as they comment on it and that it can be a genre story of rape revenge, even if this is, you know, not necessarily a conventional rape revenge avenging angel kind of thing. It's in the same kind of it. Similarly, Jennifer's body is an unconventional sort of rape revenge story too. To me, it says that like, yeah, we were right all along. Like, we, we Jennifer's Body Nation, were right all along. When I walked out of Promising Young Woman, it was the first time I'd felt a way about a movie the way, like, as I had since mm-hmm. Jennifer's Body. And it was that oh, similar wow. way of being seen, of feeling mm. really an identity um, manifested in the intensity of, like, the commitment between these two female characters, one of which we never see in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that the Academy and, and the mainstream and that the fact that this can be seen as, like, a cynical... Uh, studio play to now green light stories about mm-hmm. women's stuff and like their rape revenge thrillers because that's what people are interested in it's what they want that's what's bankable it's what can sustain a global conversation around a film for more than a year to me it is justice for jennifer's body and the execute the ideas of and the execution of something like jennifer's body to see something like this recognized on such a stage and there as we know anybody who knows me on the internet there's nothing there's no movie conversation more important to me than the one around jennifer's body that i will keep mm-hmm. going i will keep the fires burning on to the end of time so that was a real nice bit of like another a nice little landmark sort of in the story of that movie and what that movie means and what it brings to the table that is very important to me that makes me very 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 happy and that it was the best idea of the year that's that's just great stuff for me <laughs> and i think you know to to start winding this down one of the things that I haven't seen, I've seen it discussed a little bit, but not kind of fully, fully explored. I may have missed that piece in my reading, in my reading up on that film. And I think Evan Pitcher, it's one of the things that I, that really stood out to me from the script, because I get it. Like it is the original, the best original screenplay or the best screenplay award is, you know, the best idea. But there is something, and I I don't know, I'm not going to be able to speak for, you know, people who vote for the Independent Spirit Awards, for the BAFTAs, for totally. the Academy Awards. Yeah. You know, I'm not a, a voting member of those organizations, but there's the best idea. But for me, it's also a win for a particular language that mm-hmm. speaks perhaps to an experience that is shared by by women mm-hmm. university that is that is perhaps invisible to people who don't recognize that language. Yeah. And the way that like rape culture hides in plain sight through the way that we discuss 
assault, mm-hmm. the way that we discuss reputations, the way that mm-hmm. we discuss accountability, and we'll get into this in a lot a more excruciating detail in the in right. the final episode of this mm-hmm. of this mini pod but that's the thing that really shook me you know of being able to see the film that has a great idea and ga- great twist and is very pop culture very millennial like you say and it's a great ride like it's a great mm-hmm. piece of entertainment regardless of you know whether you go deep into thinking about it or not you mm-hmm. cannot deny the fact the entertainment factor of promising a woman but then there's, I would agree. Then there's the there's the language, and the language is so there's it. I think it's such a statement about the insidiousness of certain languages. Of, yeah. of it's the insidiousness of of rape culture language, mm-hmm. and there are moments in this film where it addresses it directly, but it's peppered throughout the entire script. Mm-hmm. And I wonder. I hope that perhaps that was also an element of it. That it sort of feels like an invisible message that hides in plain sight. It's a it, it's it's like it's it's like if you know the handshake kind of thing. Yes. Like if, if you if you if you if you can hear on the frequency that this movie is operating, and we, yes. we talked about this a bit last time, I think where I think so much of so much of the, the entertainment there, there's such a factor of the entertainment um about it for me that is so many of the things you see are such effective shorthands for so many of the things that you you can feel moving through mm-hmm. the world as a as a woman, particularly if you're in like the demographic that, that Cassie is in. Certainly, it manifests that specific mm-hmm. like, white comfortable experience where even the comfort is pierced by this constant looming force of men wanting things from you and wanting access to you and possibly being threatening to you, and. It is. It just does such a. It doesn't explain so many of the things that are just sitting right in front of you because for the audience that knows them, they clock them immediately and it mm-hmm. factors into how they receive the story. But is just doing it so smoothly that if you don't clock those things, it doesn't go out of its way to tell you. So it's not going to bog you down yes. in exposition about it. No, it and doesn't. it could just glide right by you, mm. and it enhances the story if you see it, but it doesn't take away from the story if you don't. It's just like there. It's like an if you know, you know. It's like a it's yeah. like a secret handshake of the movie. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's the thing that um that really stuck with me from my from my viewings of the film. It was the thing that kind of stuck in there, and I I was almost even though I watched this film by myself at home on screeners both times that I've seen it, I was mm. kind of looking around for people to talk about that language like yeah why why are we not talking about this like these are conversations everything as every single expression even mm-hmm. the expressions of affection are loaded yeah. with with meaning like you, you again it's that it's that secret handshake thing if you see it they sting yeah if you if yes. you're adjusted to that oh. frequency they sting so much because they're almost you know they're not exposition, but they're verbatim expressions that you hear a lot throughout your life. You hear in so many different situations. You tell to yourself, mm-hmm. even you know we mentioned when we were talking about the 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 men, the nice guys in this film, yeah. the way that um, Fake Schmidt talks to mm-hmm. Al after he has murdered Cassie. Mm-hmm. It's it's essentially the same type of expressions that someone who has been yeah. the, a friend, how a friend would console someone who has been the victim of an assault. Yeah, but it's yeah. you know turning it, it its head. It is completely just transferring that victim language onto him. It's like, jarring. Oh, oh God, and and you you just know that 
you know that's how Brock Turner's parents talked to him. Because that's oh, how Brock yeah. Turner's parents talked in the trial of him at Stanford. Like, you know, he was caught raping a woman in an alley. He's passed out. He's caught by two men. And his his dad stands before the court and said, like, he's he shouldn't, you know, he writes the letter to the judge, I think it was. And, you know, he shouldn't have to, like, you know, suffer the effects of this for the rest of his life for 10 minutes of action. <sighs> for 10 minutes of action. Action. 10 minutes. Okay. Like, thanks, Dad. I wonder how we got to this point with you at the helm, because good stuff. Good, good stuff. Like, I understand, like, speak on behalf of, speak on behalf of the person you care about. Like, you know, be there, be present, be supportive for the person that you care about in your life. But in those moments to, to reduce down the, an actual victim's experience to make, make that person a victim instead, instead of a perpetrator, it's like, that doesn't help anybody. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't help your friend. And it makes the world fucking worse. So, like, he does. Just watching him do it, just, just click right into that immediately. Like, fake Schmidt, he's not even acting. He means it. He's like, oh, you did this. This is your fault. This is your fault. It's okay. It's okay. We're going to fix it. He's not just putting something on to make Al feel better. He genuinely believes this isn't a problem. Mm-hmm. Or it doesn't have to be, as long as they don't let it be such a big deal. This is a dead one. There's a lot of those every day. Fuck, I wanted to end this on a positive note with all the Oscar love, <laughs> and now we're back to You bleak. really tried. You really tried. I we- I will I will it was uh it was I I didn't realize original screenplay was gonna be the first award of the night. Mm. And I was kind of working during the during the ceremony, like like doing social media stuff. And it like so when it like I had it on mute, so then it started happening and I see like like names we come up with, and I start like I, it was one of the, it was like a fucking situational comedy. It was like I was the person in the infomercial who can't hold things. I like picked up my remote. And I was like trying to hit the volume button. It was like fumbling, like oh go oh, god, it's happening, it's happening. Just like trying to like it was like it was greased in my hands. I like couldn't even hold the remote. I was so excited. So I was like it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen, this is gonna be the one. And then it got announced, and I was alone in my house, and I just started yelling. I just started <laughs> fucking screaming in the house. Just yes. Yes, we did it! <laughs> I was so, I was so happy. And I was like, and it was like, great. I had my Oscars. Like, I decided ahead of time, I've seen almost nothing that was nominated this year. It was, it was not even like, an, like, oh, I couldn't watch things. I couldn't concentrate. No, I, could, I simply couldn't pay for anything. So, like, I, I like didn't watch anything, like, that wasn't free streaming in the pandemic, basically, with few exceptions, like, Promising Over being one of them. And so that was just like, I was like, fuck it. I'm sure all these other things are very nice. I want Minari to win everything because everybody involved seems great. Francis McDormand's always a winner. Viola Davis can't go wrong. Chadwick Boseman, give him whatever, give him everything. But like truly single topic issue voter watcher of the Academy Awards this year was Promising Young Woman. It it wasn't even like, oh, Promising Young Woman's better than everything. It was like, I can't compare. I don't know. I just know that Promising Young Woman's the best. I have. I'm not giving. I have no opinions on all the other things. So Promising Young Woman's just the best. That's all. That's all. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> that's and on that night for best original screenplay, it was the fucking best. And okay, we brought it back. We brought it back to positivity. I we love did. I, I don't know how it happened. <laughs> I wanted to you. give you that after I was the one who really brought it down in here. I wanted to like bring it back up again. 
I mean, we're gonna bring it way down in the final episode, but you're right. You know. We're really go. We're really what a finale you planned, Anna. Yeah, yeah. I sort of rearranged the order of the episodes as I originally <laughs> planned them because you know you you keep the the most intense ones for that. That's gonna be the twist. The twist upon the twist of this mini right. episode is that we're gonna keep all the bleakness yeah. to the final episode. <laughs> yeah, great. I'm ready. I'm ready. Great to go. stuff. So on that note, Jordan, if anyone is not already following your work online, where can people find more of your work online? Well, British people, you can find me on patreon.com slash cruciola, uh, where that will pretty much mostly go toward my, my podcasting ventures. And you can find me on Twitter at jorcru, J-O-R-C-R-U. And yeah, check it out. I'm I'm around. Probably bugging Anna. <laughs> or engaging in... in- all caps screaming conversations about promising young women <laughs> on the night of the Oscars, which I thoroughly enjoyed until I passed out at three thirty AM. Yeah, because obviously, <laughs> Anna, you're you're like I think it's eight hours ahead of me and with the way that this show ended, I was so deeply hoping I would get a drunk response from you at four AM your time, being like, What the fuck was that? I you completely know what? understood why you were asleep because it was three AM. But it was just like, I just knowing that Anna has been hanging out with uh, white Russians on the Oscars tonight, I just need to know if she's still up. I just need to know. <laughs> Correction, I was drinking black Russians. Black Russians. Not- no, can you tell but- me, not knowing anything about alcohol, what's the difference? Uh, there is no uh, milky stuff in it, so it's it's just Kahlua it's and just vodka. Food. It's just Kahlua and vodka, basically, and ice. <laughs> <laughs> so the difference is, the difference is you're not a little bitch if you're drinking <laughs> black Russians, <laughs> as opposed to white Russians. I guess. Let's just say they um untie any room that you're drinking black Russians. <laughs> Like the rooms kind of meld away, rugs disappear in different ways. It it was a, it was a good night. It was it was black Russians and me, and obviously, um, I as per usual, as I pass out before the most important conversation starting moment of the Oscars. Oh God, I just I, I wish you could have been there, just been there, you know, digitally, just to watch Twitter happen. Yeah. for for a few minutes because it was really it was one of those great moments where the timeline is all hanging out together <laughs> i'm i'm i have very bad timing <laughs> <laughs> oh man and just missing history left and right yeah yeah that will be if i ever write a memoir it'll be like i was almost there <laughs> yeah i was i was almost there for the momentous occasion i left early yeah, it's like, just like not even a bystander to history adjacent to history with anna Bogutskaya. I was on the waiting list for history. <laughs> <laughs> didn't want to didn't want to wait line for that cab. <laughs> on that note, let's wrap up. We've got one more episode to go. But thank you, Jordan, as always, for your time and for your incredible insight. I genuinely do not know how you speak so eloquently every time. And for so long about a single <laughs> a single for, film. And for so long cannot be understated enough for so long. I meant it in the sense of like how many hours we've already spent talking about this one movie for this one project. And on that note, for this is the third episode of a four-part mini pod. If you are discovering the final girls podcast because of this. Go mini-pod, listen to all the rest of it. 
<laughs> yeah, it's all available in this feed. We've got three seasons done already. I'm prepping the next one, which will be announced very shortly on our social media. I can be found on Twitter at Anna B. Demented, and you can follow all of the Final Girls stuff at the Final Girls UK. We used to do events. We will be doing events again. <laughs> and in the meantime, we publish newly commissioned writing from women and non-binary folk over on our website awesome. and also produce this podcast. We've just wrapped up Vampire and there's a couple of more bonus episodes in the pipeline that still talk about vampires and we also have a patreon patreon forward slash the final ghost so yeah and if you want to hear me and anna specifically yelling about monsters there are a few episodes of me doing that with her as well so go on a scavenger hunt and find those namely blade all the blade movies namely namely blade but don't sleep on all cheerleaders die everybody yes and of course jennifer's body yeah, which is in a double will with, you know, my most important movie of all time, Jennifer's Body. 